Military leaders and many in the political and contracting realm worry the nation is losing its competitive military advantage. The Commission on National Defense Strategy has called for a boost in spending, not an uncommon Washington response. My next guest argues maybe this is not the right conclusion. Dan Grazer is a military fellow at the Project on Government Oversight and a Marine Corps veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan, and he joins me now. Dan, good to have you on. Hey, thanks. It is great to be here. First of all, the basic premise of the report. Would you agree that the United States does need to increase the edge that it had in the 80s and 90s? I don't necessarily agree with the the entire premise of the commission, uh, because their premise is that we should be focusing on great power conflicts, i.e. focusing on fighting a conventional war against Russia and China. I don't think that that's necessarily the the right policy. But even within that premise, just accepting that premise for argument's sake, the conclusions that the commission came up with contain an inherent logical fallacy in that if, if Russia and China are gaining on us in a military technological sense, They've been able to do that by spending pennies to our dollars. We spend, even under the most generous accounting methods, we spend twice as much as Russia and China do on our, on our military, but yet they're somehow able to gain on us. So I think rather than uh, just throwing more money uh, at, at, at the problem, we should probably take a lesson from them to figure out how they've been able to build a world-class military by spending pennies to our dollars. Could it be, and this probably sounds naive, but are prices lower in China because they have much lower labor costs and so forth? Well, they definitely, that, that's, that's one of the arguments that's made. If you listen to the, the co-commissioners for this, uh, for this, for this panel, uh, they, they will tell you that the, the big disparity is the, the personnel costs. And that is, is very true. It does cost much more to, to field, put an American in the, in the field than it does to put a, a Russian uh, or, or a Chinese soldier. But even even accounting for that, if you just let's just compare apples to apples here. Let's take a look at our premier uh, fighter jet. So you look at something like the the F twenty two or the F thirty five. And again, being being generous and just using the the Air Force's figures for these things, where you're talking about uh, approximately one hundred and forty million dollars for an F twenty two, and a, and they're shooting for a target price of about eighty million dollars for the for the F thirty five. Uh, which again, they're, the real costs of these programs are much, much, much more expensive than that. But even just taking those numbers, comparing them to the comparable, the the Russian Su-35 and the Chinese J-20, uh, those comparable systems cost half uh, of what what ours do. And so they're they're obviously they figured out a way to to build these things for a lot less money than we have. And uh, so maybe we need to, again, take a, take a lesson from them and figure out how to do that. Sure. Again, a little bit of a devil's advocate question here. Could it be that they are up on these types of technologies, fighter jets and the networking they require because they stole our intellectual property and got a shortcut? That is very true. Yes, yes. Uh, the Chinese, uh, if you believe all the reports, they, they stole pretty much everything that they needed to know about the F-35 back in 2006. So, yeah, there's definitely some industrial espionage that goes on. I still think that that there is definitely a way to build effective systems for a lot less money than we have. A better policy would be to build better systems so we can build more of them. To follow the, the commission's recommendations, they even they, they quote the old adage that, that quantity has a quality all of its own. 
which is very true, and I agree with that. But there's also another old adage that says, uh, old New England adage that says you can't get there from here. Well, we're not going to be able to do that when, in reality, we're spending approximately $350 million for an F-22 and uh, and about $150 million per copy for an F-35 if you account in all the, the program acquisition unit costs that go along with it. And just to return to an earlier point that you made, that you questioned the idea of the emergence of the great power competition, and that's really become military doctrine, and that's the basic thinking that they all have now. Is that the way the world is, do you think? Uh, I, I very much doubt it, uh, because the, uh, while the, the report says, uh, talks a lot about modernizing nuclear weapons, which, which I, I tend to agree with, it mostly focuses on a uh, conventional war against Russia or China. And I still think that it is a very dicey proposition that two nuclear powers can fight a conventional war. We're speaking with Dan Grazier. He's military fellow with the Project on Government Oversight. I wanted to ask you about the personnel costs. We touched on that briefly, but uh, the volunteer force is expensive. I think it was former Secretary Gates said that health care costs are eating us alive was his terminology for it. I don't see a way around that at this point to have any kind of say, an army of half a million, of which half of that is ready at any given time. It's simply expensive on the personnel front, which outstrips the rising costs of some of the systems. That is very true. But it's also important to remember that a lot of those costs are spread on uh, through other departments, because you have to look at, like, the when we talk about military spending, a lot of when when I spoke earlier about the, the most generous accounting methods, I was talking about just comparing base budget to base budget. But a lot of these kind of costs are also spread in other departments. So if you add in the the Veterans Administration and you add in the uh, Homeland Security and things like that, our, our, our true spending on defense is, is much, much greater. We're talking over uh, easily over a trillion dollars a year. And uh, so it, it, it is a a great challenge to try to fund all of these things, which is why it becomes even more important for our policy leaders to uh, identify savings wherever they can. And uh, and I always go back to the, the most important thing is we need to figure out a way to build much simpler weapon systems that can come in at much lower cost. Uh, it is not uh, it is not entirely unreasonable to think that the United States can do exactly like Russia or China does and build a forty million dollar fighter plane uh, because we again we we're not going to be able to afford the size of a force that the commission and Congress is calling for when we're spending. $350 million for a fighter plane when we're spending $18 billion for an aircraft carrier. The math just does not add up. Sure. And on the question, getting back to the, say, we're not a great power competition situation, it, it is more like what it's looked like for the past, you know, 15 years or so or since tw- uh, 9-11. Given that as the standard situation, would you say that the United States still needs to boost up its technical superiority that is to say, has that eroded even in a non-great power versus great power situation? I would say it's more important for us to, to really try to evaluate what it is that we're trying to accomplish with these systems. So technology is really great in a lot of situations, but there's uh, there are plenty of situations where the high technology road is not the right uh, is not the right way to go. And it's a very important thing to, to really kind of focus and, and, and see what it is that you're trying to accomplish because every, for every high-tech weapon system there is, there's a very low-tech counter to it. And so we need to make sure that we're not setting ourselves up uh, for a, 
for a, a less wealthy adversary uh, to come in and defeat a $150 million aircraft with a, with, with a $1,000 uh, rifle or something like that. I, I think that we need to, to really go back to the basics and, and really focus on the true essence of these systems and to figure out the simplest possible way to achieve that desired goal. I always wondered why they just didn't go back and say, let's order a thousand F-18s and be done with it. Uh, that, that's a great question. You could, uh, we could do the same thing with uh, like the A-10. Like, look, we have the we have the designs for them, and so we can if if they need to be modified. I mean, the A10's been upgraded a couple times. Uh, we could just build more A10s, or but even a lot of times you don't even necessarily need to do that. I I point to the example of the the new tank upgrade program. Now, this is my background. I was a I was a tank officer in the Marine Corps, and I went through a couple of different kind of generations of the of the Abrams when when I first came in in 2005 we were operating on tanks that were almost exactly like the ones that we took to Desert Storm in 91 and and then they got upgraded about 2 years into it and the 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 upgrades were impressive and the we had optics that I could look out further than I could before and uh, there were a couple of new electronics for location and, and land navigation and those kind of things and some of those were very good upgrades but others when I really kind of took a look at it and I was able to reflect on it I realized that I can't do anything in this tank that I wasn't able to do before I could still hit targets out to the same to the same exact range. Uh, the only real difference with that was the the image of the the target in my viewfinder was clearer than it was before. That was the only real difference. And but there was a big cost associated with that, uh, and that was for a, a relatively basic upgrade for the tank. The new one that the Army's doing, the the M1A2 Step Version Three, it, it's a it's approximately a twenty two million dollar upgrade for a tank. It's not buying a new tank. It's just an upgrade for a new tank. And in many ways, this upgrade is actually going to make the tank less capable. It's going to add more weight, which is going to give it shorter legs, means you have to refuel it more often. It actually eats into the fuel capacity of the tank, which means that you've reduced its range even more. Uh, you've actually made it harder to move it around in a, in a strategic and operational sense, uh, because there are very few bridges around the world that can traffic an 80-ton tank. And uh, so this it, this looks very good to the bottom line for for General Dynamics and, and some of the other contractors that are involved in it. Uh, but in reality, they're they're really providing a less capable tank. And so this is I, I use this as a great example of going back and and making sure that people understand what is the true essence of this system. What is it that we need to do? And is this new upgrade program or is this uh, this new way of doing things? actually improving the situation that we currently have. Dan Grazier is the Military Fellow at the Project on Government Oversight. Thanks so much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Find a link to more information and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.